love to read to you from God's Word now, from Luke chapter 23, verse 33 to 49, the crucifixion of Jesus. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, Into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Less than 12 months ago, on the 23rd of June, 2018, a group of boys called the Wild Boars, a soccer team in Thailand, decided that after training, They would ride their bikes up a mountain and go exploring in a cave known as Tam Lung, one of the longest caves in Thailand, in a mountainous region. And they would go for about an hour, the youngest boy being only 11. And so they set out on their journey. (laughs) They set out on their journey with their bikes and rode up to the mountain. And now, it was the 23rd of June. There's a danger sign out the front of the mountain. It warns that between July and November, it is monsoon season, and it is far too dangerous to enter the cave because the cave floods. Well, they knew that they were about a week out of that period, and as teenage or young boys often do, they're always prone to taking risks. So they decided to head into the cave. 
One of the boys was 16 and it was his birthday. And uh, the whole team was due to go back to his house for cake uh, after training and after their cave exploration adventure. But after a period of time, uh, and the boys not returning home to celebrate this boy Knight's cake, uh, the parents obviously started to worry. And they knew where the boys would be. So they went to the cave and they found their bikes and their soccer boots all at the entrance of the cave. The boys had gone exploring. But as they had been exploring, uh, 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 the rain came and the entrance to the, f- to the cave had flooded and the boys were trapped. And essentially, they were forced to continue going deeper and deeper into the cave. Previously, before they'd gone into the cave, there had been a lot of rain, and that rain had actually slowly trickled down through the dirt and and created more and more flooding inside the cave. And this created a situation where the team actually ended up four kilometres into the heart, into the depth of the cave. They came to a rocky ridge, uh, where they were able to get out of the water. And, and from there, they basically used rocks and for days were able to dig five metres into this kind of crag where they were st- staying and they were able to huddle themselves together and basically wait either for their rescue or their imminent death. These, uh, during this period of time, while the boys were, um, were digging and trying to survive, a huge rescue operation was beginning to unfold. And all kinds of things were happening. Um, Rescue teams were brought in, the Thai Navy SEALs, the police, other rescue volunteers came, and all kinds of efforts were made to try and find or to locate where the boys were. And some of the things that they did, for example, was uh, pump water, try and pump as much water as they could out of the cave to to try and create space to get to the boys. Um, By the time um, they'd finished this rescue effort, over a thousand Olympic pools worth of water had been pumped out, but to no avail. Also, there were teams that would drill into the side of the hill trying to find what's called a chimney or a a nest hole that perhaps went down into the cave and they might find another way to enter into the cave rather from the entrance to try and rescue the boys. But that too, they they ended up digging over a hundred chimneys and that too proved to be fruitless. After five days with no success, international help was brought in. Uh, The US Air Force rescue specialists, diving experts from right around the world. There were over a thousand specialists that became part of this rescue mission. And by this stage, it was a global phenomenon. Everyone around the world was following this story on their TV screens, on the internet, on the radio. It was a massive rescue mission. And one of the British divers, this man John, was actually responsible after huge amounts of effort. See, what you need to understand is that these diving specialists are used to diving underwater, like in the ocean where the water's clear and you can actually see what's in front of you. But diving in a cave where the water is muddy and murky is an entirely different story. The the, the lowest section of the cave um, was 38 centimetres, where these divers had to get through in order to continue their journey. They had to remove all of their diving apparatus, including cylinders with oxygen, just to fit through those parts of the cave. 
On the outside, it was raining and the floods were coming. And by the final day of this whole saga, waters were rising 30 centimetres per hour. It was that desperate. But after 10 days of these boys being trapped, being lost, and after 10 days of no food, and all they had to survive was the water that was seeping through as moisture on the side of the cave wall, and they had their torches, but their torches kept going out. And so they learned to live and survive in utter darkness. One of the boys described the darkness as being so fearful. It was as if darkness overcame him. The boys would wake up in the middle of the night having nightmares about darkness and their whole world was in complete uh, fear of being lost. After 10 days, these boys had 10% chance of survival. By this stage, the rescue team were largely expecting that they were going to find 12 Um, dead boys and their 25-year-old coach, um, all deceased. But this man, John, a British diver, um, on his efforts, there were two British divers, and he popped his head up, He, he came through a different part of the cave system that they hadn't discovered yet. He popped his head up and had his torch and his GoPro on, and, and to his absolute amazement and delight, he saw 13 alive children and coach. And, and it was actually recorded, and it's on YouTube. You can watch it. And uh, it, it's sort of known as brilliant because that's the word that he said when he saw these 13 boys. It was groundbreaking news. Now, these boys, can you just imagine? They've been 10 days without food, stuck in complete darkness, unable to help themselves at all. And the, they see someone come to help. But the boys had been discovered, and that was one thing. But now the rescue mission would really begin because they had to get the boys out. Four kilometres of flooded cave. And these divers, if you recall, were grown men that were trained professional specialists that had all of the diving gear. And here we just have 13 boys in T-shirts and shorts, skinny and thin and fading away fast. They were able to... um, obviously communicate back to the rescue team that they'd discovered the boys, and and obviously that was hugely exciting and wonderful, but now how would they get them out? The boys had to be fed a very special diet. They were fed energy gels, something I've become very familiar with over the last few months, And, uh, and that helped sustain them. They weren't able to sort of eat full proper meals for quite some time. It was really important that the nutrition was was integrated in very slowly and carefully. But from that point in time, there were medics that stayed with the boys. And then they had to, the the rescue team had to figure out how on earth they were going to get these guys out of the cave. The boys were obviously thrilled, but now there was a huge effort. And this gives you a little bit of a picture. It's hard to see. But you can see the entrance and you can see just how thin this cave system is and there are parts where it's flooded, uh, where the boys would have to be carried through long stretches of water and uh, it was about four kilometres from the entrance, as I mentioned. They actually did all kinds of rescue efforts in in pools. These specialists had to do training before they could... They had to train for something they'd never done before and and use practice dummies and all kinds of things and work out how they were actually going to get these boys out of the cave. It was quite an amazing effort. 
Because the boys um, were so low on oxygen, one of the things that they needed to do immediately was bring oxygen to the, the, the part of the cave where the boys had become stationed. And so there were some routine cylinder drops with oxygen. And sadly, a former Navy SEAL, Salmon Gunnan, on a routine cylinder drop, uh, on the return from dropping some oxygen of sil- uh, some, a cylinder of oxygen at the boys' station, um, on his return, he ran out of oxygen himself and lost his life. He was a volunteer at that point. He wasn't being paid. He had volunteered to rescue, as had thousands of other people. This gives you a little bit of a picture as to how they decided to get these boys out. Um, Because there were long stretches where they'd have to actually carry them underwater, the boys were sedated, they were masked um, so that they could breathe, and it required two people to get one boy out at a time. Eventually, they had three groups um, to get these boys out, and it would take 11 hours per rescue. Uh, It took a total of three days from the moment the boys were discovered to when they were rescued. And they were carried by a rope and pulley system in these kind of bags, if you like. Well, once all of the 13 boys had been rescued, the jubilation was amazing. Um, The whole world was rejoicing that this rescue had come to pass. One of the grandparents of the boys said this, It's like they have died after going into the cave and have now been reborn. My friends, Good Friday is God's rescue mission. What we have just heard about, and many of us would be familiar with from um, the media when it was all happening, was that was a rescue mission of epic proportions. No expense was spared. Specialists were brought in from other countries. Special training was done. The amount of volunteer effort was unbelievable. But that's nothing in comparison to the rescue mission that God set in motion and came to its fulfillment on Good Friday. You see, just like those boys who were trapped in hopelessness, their imminent death awaited them. They had come to a place where they could not help, they could not rescue themselves. Their only hope was outside help. And the Bible says that we, as sinful people, find ourselves in a similar situation. We are trapped in hopelessness. Romans 6, 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And further on it says, The wages of sin is death. The world is in a very dark place a place that we unfortunately entered ourselves by rebelling against God. And every time we make a choice against God's good and perfect will for our lives, we go further into that cave and we go further into helplessness. The story of the cross is the story of God reaching out his helping hand through his son Jesus to all who understand and recognize that without help they are lost and without help they face an eternity in darkness. This is the story, my friends, of the cross. And this is the story that beats right through the scriptures and was evident that when Jesus, the Messiah, came, he would give his life. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus knew what his mission was. His mission was to rescue humanity. His mission was to lay down his life voluntarily so that all who placed their trust in him would be saved. 
John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The boys did nothing to initiate the rescue mission. They were completely helpless. They were lost. They couldn't signal. They couldn't call out for help. But the Thai officials took the initiative and they sent the specialists in who were eventually able to rescue the boys. God saw our lost and broken condition. He took the initiative and sent his only son to rescue and save and redeem all who would accept that hand of help. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit. Just as one man sacrificially, voluntarily laid down his life to rescue 13 others, Jesus sacrificially, voluntarily laid down his life to rescue and redeem all of humanity. The Bible says in John 3, 17, that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn it, but to rescue people, to redeem people who would open their hand to his. Jesus entered our cave. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We were lost. We were dead. We had no hope of rescuing or redeeming ourselves. There was nothing that you and I could do. But God had an answer. God had a plan. And that plan was Jesus. And on Good Friday, we see Jesus entering our cave through his own cross, through the cross. And the cross was a place of great darkness, of of shame. The cross was a place reserved for the worst of the worst criminals. We read that Jesus hung beside, hung in the middle of two criminals. We also read that during Jesus' death, he was on the cross from nine in the morning till three in the afternoon. That period of time from midday to three was total darkness as Jesus hung on the cross and the weight of the world, of the sin of the world, was upon his shoulders. I want us to consider briefly the two men that hung on either side of Jesus and their responses to him. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus hung between two criminals, one on his left and one on his right. Both of these men, quite likely, punished for the same crime. Both men, quite likely, had lived the same kind of life up till that moment. Both, as history would, would have it, find themselves uh, crucified alongside the saviour of the world. One recognises that saviour, another doesn't. The first criminal joins in with the soldiers who are mocking Jesus. In essence, he says, prove yourself if you are who you say you are, or even if you are who this sign above you says you are. Then save yourself and save us while you're at it. 
This man, similar to the soldiers who are mocking Jesus, has no real expectation that Jesus could save him or anyone else for that matter. He was purely hurling scorn and mockery towards Jesus. He would have been in a world of pain. His world was coming to an end. He had nothing to lose in a sense. But he also had everything to gain. But unfortunately, he didn't have faith. He didn't see what the other man saw. This man was so full of pride. He was unable to accept his own brokenness. He was unable to accept that he was in desperate need. And so he joined in with the crowd. He joined in with what was popular, and that was to hurl insults at Jesus. Pride prevents us from reaching God. Pride gets in the way of humbling ourselves and receiving the free gift of God's grace. You know, coming to Christ is so much about dropping the pride and letting go of the proud person inside. The proud person that says, I'm okay, I don't need any help. Or even when a person is dying on a cross because they've made so many mistakes, there's still an inability to confess and to admit that I got it wrong, that I stuffed up. Beware of pride. Pride is a great danger to the rescue mission of God. Let's consider the other criminal. He rebuked his fellow prisoner. He rebuked his fellow prisoner. Don't you fear God? Indicating that he feared God. He clearly wasn't a God-fearing man up until this point in time. But something had changed within him. He'd seen the way Jesus was responding. He'd heard Jesus' words, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Similar to the centurion, who actually changes because of observing the way that Jesus died. So too, this criminal changes by observing the way Jesus died. When we observe the way Jesus lived and indeed the way Jesus died, we too can be changed. This man acknowledged his own sinfulness. He acknowledged the the wrong that he'd done in his life. He acknowledged that he and the other man were deserving of death, but he recognized that Jesus was innocent, that Jesus should not have been where he was. This man exercises great faith because not only does he now believe Jesus is God by saying, don't you fear God, but Jesus is hanging on a cross, sharing the same destiny as he is, death, and yet he places his trust in Jesus. He exercises incredible faith, in fact, more faith than his disciples exercise at this point in time. The disciples have scattered, they are nowhere to be seen. But this criminal, this sinful man, exercises great faith by recognizing who Jesus is and recognizing the power that Jesus has. He reached out to Jesus. He let go of all of his pride and he humbled himself. He asked Jesus to remember him. And what we see in this moment is Jesus becoming the bridge from condemnation to righteousness. 
On either side of Jesus, there now stands a condemned man facing eternal death and a righteous man, not because of anything that he had done, but because he was able to repent in humility and accept that Jesus was God and simply ask for his salvation. Jesus becomes the great bridge on Good Friday. Luke 23, 43, Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The response of Jesus to this man was instant. Not sometime off in the future, today. You will be with me in paradise. This man has gone from experiencing despair to hope. He's gone from experiencing being guilty to now being gifted with eternal life. He's gone from being condemned to being forgiven. Friends, Good Friday is all about God's rescue mission, sending Jesus to rescue all who were lost in the cave of darkness and hopelessness. And God continues to this day to stretch out his hand to all who would let go of their pride and have placed their trust in Jesus as Lord and Saviour and say to him, yes, Lord, remember me. And Jesus will take your hand, and in him you will know life and life eternal. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we just want to thank you and praise you for sending Jesus, your son. Jesus, we want to thank you and praise you for your obedience in going to the cross and taking upon yourself the sin and the shame of this world in rescuing all who would reach out their hand to you. And so, Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit you might humble each one of us, that we might be like that criminal who acknowledges that we are deserving of death, but who exercise faith and trust in you that you can indeed save. And may we enjoy the freedom of forgiveness. May we enjoy the life in all of its abundance that you offer on this day and on all days. And we thank you, Lord, that it is never too late to turn to Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.